Praise the Lord. I never felt short before. Now I know what Sister Stacy was talking about. Well, I feel, I feel good to be here. Thank you very much for trusting me to do this. I am totally not a speaker. I am a laugher, just like everybody else here. But this is the best day of my life. The best day of my life. This is a day that the Lord has made, and I will, be I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the best day of my life. And I woke up this morning, and I looked out the window, and the sun was shining. It's my favorite. That's my favorite thing. It's my, I think it's going to be my ladybug. So it's, it's a pleasure to be here today. This has been a great retreat. I've just been, I've been blessed and challenged by the other speakers, and, and I've wept, and I've rejoiced, and I've fallen deeper in love with my Jesus. He is so wonderful. Sister Lumpkin, you were right on. I appreciate you being here, and I appreciate what you, what you brought to us. It's really meant a lot. Sister Churchill, you've worked, you've always worked hard for us. Thank you for organizing this. And I know this is your last day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This is, I know this is your last year for um, being our president, and there are big shoes to fill. That's for sure. And um, I just want to, I want to thank the, this, all the singers and you guys for being here, taking days off to... To, um, to bless us with your singing, with your worship. Thank you, Jesus. Appreciate your sensitivity to God. It was, it's just amazing. We, uh, God made music for us to worship him with. Oh, what else? <laughs> Brother Don G., I know he's here like all day long, into the night. I don't know what time he left last night. Appreciate you being here to lock up and put out the cat. Thank you, Brother John. So ladies' retreat and camp is very important to us. We're kind of not like the South where there's like lots of fellowship everywhere. And, um, and we, we drive long ways. We fly long ways. I know Bethel, the only way you get here is to fly. And at, at great sacrifice to a pocketbook sometimes. But totally, totally so worth it to come here. And, and to get together. And that's what makes us such a tight group because we, we love one another. We, and we come to just see who, you know, see who's here and what's going on with them, all the nice new faces that come here. I appreciate coming here. I appreciate the opportunity. And our, our churches are just scattered everywhere. So it's a good opportunity to be together. And... Um, we do definitely talk together, and, but we laugh together. We enjoy one another. Ecclesiastes 3 says, To everything there is a season and a time to, uh, and purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what we planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to, to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. 
a time to cast away stories and a time to gather stories together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Oh, I can't cry because I can't see. I hate bifocals. Um, I hate bifocals for many things. Shoulder checking is, is it really interesting. I always thought I was going to kill somebody because I couldn't see. So a time to get and a time to lose and a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to read, a time to sow, a time to keep silent. Hard for some of us. And a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time of peace. And what profit hath he that worketh and wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. We just, we just don't get it how big God is. We just don't get it. Our thoughts are not his thoughts, and our ways are not his ways. He is such a wonderful God, and I, I'm so thankful that he gave us laughter. Thank you, Jesus. Psychology Today talks about what laughter does to our souls and what it does to our bodies. It relaxes our bodies. It boosts our immunity. It triggers endorphins, which are the feel-good hormones. Came long before that old marijuana. <laughs> we don't really need marijuana. We just need the Lord. It protects our heart. It burns calories. One minute of laughter is equal to 10 minutes on the treadmill. I'll do that anytime. <laughs> Woo! It takes the focus off anger and stress and negative thoughts. And it provides oxygen to our body. So it, uh, so it protects my heart and it feeds my mind. I need more oxygen. So Job 8 and 21 says, He will fill my mouth with laughter and my lips with rejoicing. Proverbs 17 and 22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And I think we all know people that are kind of negative Nelly. doesn't matter what's going on. Even if it's a good day, they manage to kind of suck you dry. So, yeah, there, a lot of people avoid them. Um, so the first thing that I have learned, I turned 65 this year. So I feel like I'm, I'm uh, hitting another, another spot in my life. So the first thing that I learned is that I should learn to laugh at myself before somebody beats me to it. <laughs> I told my husband that before we got married, I said, you are going to have to have a sense of humor to be married to me because it's going to be quite a ride. He's kind of the quiet one of the bunch, so somebody has to talk. So God made us in his image and in his likeness. And he certainly laughs. I know he laughs at me. I don't know if you do this, but it's like, God, there's a bad situation, and you just really need to move in this situation. You need to really need help. And 
I'll just let you know how we're going to go about it. You do that? I do that all the time. He must, I keep him in stitches. So he gave us special talents as well. Uh, my husband says that my special talent is that I can, that I am ambidextrous because I can get both feet in my mouth at once. <laughs> he, he made that one up, I think. So when God created woman, we were, we were a helpmeet for our husbands, and Eve was a helpmeet for Adam. Because God was worried that Adam was going to get lost in the garden, and he would not ever ask for directions. <laughs> and he, he knew that Adam wouldn't know which night to put the garbage out at the curb. And he'd need someone to um, pass him a roll of toilet paper. And he wouldn't be able to make his own dentist and doctor and haircut appointments. And um, he needed somebody um, to handle the childbirth because he knew that Adam, you know, kind of wasn't up to that. I often think that's how women get crow's feet, you know. <laughs> but our husbands are a strong hand for us to squeeze off when we're delivering that baby. So Adam also needed somebody to blame when they were hiding in the garden. You know, that woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. So, but men don't really have it, uh, we don't really have it that bad because um, women were the first ones to get off the Titanic. <laughs> I, I would be grateful for that. And for, and we get free dinners for a while, and then, <laughs> then we cook them. And we dodge tickets with tears. I can't do that, but on the way to camp one day, I was, you know, kind of zooming along up top before you start coming down toward Palmer. And out of nowhere, there was this policeman came and, you know, could put on his lights and everything. And I was like, what is he doing up here? He is so far from anywhere. Anyway, he, gave, he came up to my car, and you could see the surprise on his face. This little old lady with a white bun sitting behind. It's like, the little old lady from Pasadena has come up here. <laughs> he just looked at me, and you could tell that he just didn't know what to do with me. And he said, do you, do you know why I stopped you? And I said, well, yeah, you owe me a ticket. And he said, you, you know? And I said, well, yeah. I said, I was speeding. And he said, oh. I wondered why you didn't put your brakes on. I said, well, you came over the hill and I came over the hill. And I know I was going 70 miles an hour. I, I had my cruise control set. I know I was speeding. <laughs> and he was just like, oh, oh. Anyway, he ended up not getting me a ticket. And I think it was because he was embarrassed to be giving like, somebody like his grandmother a speeding ticket. <laughs> Old age is not a bad thing. You get away with all kinds of stuff. And if you live in Canada, you have seniors discounts. I've had gray, gray hair since I was 40. I've had seniors discounts for years. <laughs> I love it. Onward and upward. Well, um, there we go. Watch my notes. I tried an iPad. And I've got my iPad, I can't, it doesn't have cut and paste. And I am not a techno queen. 
So I had this um, little scrapbook that my grandkids do. So I just use that as my note paper. I'm obviously not a speaker. Anyway, um, it's commonly known um, that a woman carrying extra pounds lives longer than a man. That's one of the advantages. We live longer than the man who mentions it. <laughs> my husband doesn't say a word. <laughs> but he is really great. Husbands understand when, uh, our weaknesses, and they're always ready to step in to help. Just the other day, I called my husband, and I said to him, I need a ride home. And he said, oh, why? And I said, well, the brakes went out in the car. He said, oh, well, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in the drugstore. Well, where's the car? Well, it's in here with me. <laughs> Poor man. That may not quite be true, but it, it looked like a good joke. Thank God for Google. It really helps us. So men's lives are pretty simple because they make it simple. They can open their own jars. They go on a five-day vacation and they only take one suitcase. They only have three pairs of shoes and that does them for life pretty much. The car mechanics never lie to them. And gray hair and wrinkles? Well, that gives them character. And they only have to shave above their neck. They still take long showers, though. And if you're 34 and single, nobody notices. And they kill their own food, and guess what? We get to cook our free food. We get another free dinner. So my God made us um, laughter, and it is medicine to our souls. The one scripture that I, that I, that I love the most about laughter is in Psalms 20, 126 and 2, and it says, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. Then the heathen, that's our neighbors, our co-workers, our schoolmates, said, The Lord hath done great things for them. That's our witness. That's our, that's our song. That's what we take to work every day. That's what our neighbors see every day. They don't want to see that somebody that's fussing. We had this friend who called the other day, and from the time that we were living for God, he would kind of make jokes about, you know, sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, and kind of make jokes about heaven and all that kind of stuff. But the other day, after uh, we'd known him about 40 years, he called and he said, oh, my goodness, the world is in such a mess. I'm just not sure what's going to happen. And, like, he's watched us all that time and maybe made a little fun, but he saw all those years that we have something that God has for him. And so laughter should be something that everybody sees. I just retired my position from work, um, and I've, I've worked, um, well, I've worked there since I was really young, like 24. And uh, one of the girls said, you know, it's really nice because when you come to work, you bring something special with you. Yeah. I bring Jesus every day. I bring Jesus every day, and that's what we need to bring. We need to, we need to give them Jesus. And we do that through our laughter, through our humor, 
and just are just being positive and saying every day in the in the in the day this is the best day of my life we need to give that to others the lord has done great things our lives gives them hope because jesus is the answer they say that we have something special and we see god they see god in our lives and they watch us every day they may not say anything but when the chips are down they're going to come you know come into one of the rooms and say can i talk to you for a minute i need i need you to i need to talk to you about something so psalms 28 and 7 says the lord is my strength and my shield my heart trusts in him and he helps me therefore my heart greatly rejoices and with my song will i praise him nehemiah says this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. I learned that song, the joy of the Lord is my strength. We never sing it in church. I don't know why. Anyway, I'm going to, do you, do you guys know that? No, you're too young. Okay, if there's any old girls in the audience, I'm going to sing a few bars. The joy of the Lord is my strength. 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 This is the one I like the best. The devil doesn't like it. Ha, 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 ha. The devil doesn't like it. Ha, 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 ha. The devil doesn't like it. Ha, 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 ha. Take that one, devil. The joy of the Lord is my strength. 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 Well, she stole my thunder, my marijuana secret. I told her the next morning about it. I couldn't get a hold of her at first. That's why I had to call everybody else. And uh, I was telling the other ladies that my sister-in-law and my friend Wanda and all of them, I was saying, compare y'all's baskets to mine. Tell me what you got in yours. I'll tell you what I got in my basket. See if it compares. They said, we can't compete with that. <laughs> so anyway, we was laughing about it. And Wanda Chavis, she said, I got to go sit down and laugh. I'm laughing so hard. But it was fun. And then I got to realize, and I couldn't stop laughing. So in the room all day, it was a hilarious time. And my husband said, I called him, and he said, babe, don't mix that with your congen water because it's micro-clustered, and it'll get in your cells. And I said, oh, what a great idea. But it's still nicely sealed. I haven't. I'm going to give it to Sister. Not going to tell who Kim is, but I'm going to give it to somebody to do whatever they want to with it.
but I wanted to hold on to it as long as I could because I just think it's so cool. I'd take it home if I could get by with it just because I think it'd be funny. But anyway, at my house, it might not be safe, but hey, you never know. But I feel good. But thank you for letting me come. I've had a wonderful time. I really hope that from this conference, you're taking something from it. There's been so many great words spoken. But for us to leave here and remember what happened and what we heard and what we experienced and what we may have learned. Because sometimes we will leave a conference and think, oh, it was great. Well, what did you hear? I don't remember, but it was good. So the first night we talked about knowing that God loves us and to feel loved and that we need to love him and him love us. And then last night was knowing how important the word is in our lives and to apply it and to have the mind of Christ. I think it's important that we take the word literally and start, start thinking on these things and start focusing on the things that he said are healthy for us because that's his plan. And can I just say this, being taking care of this is very spiritual. Talking in tongues is not healing your body. There's no scripture for that. But how you take care of this temple and what you put in it and, and what you think is healthy. And it's very spiritual. That's an obligation he's given to us. You're responsible for this body you live in. It's the only one you'll ever get. Now, we're not in the shape we're in. because It's not his fault. I wasn't born like this. I didn't get to this place with, you know, I, I just did it on my own. And I can't blame God for it. I have to, I'm responsible for that. But what I wanted to do today is share something from my heart. And uh, I, what I did, if you'll see, I have a safety pin on here. And uh, it's not to remind me if, I, if something breaks, I have a safety pin. But what I did was I brought some safety pins for all of you, and I only have 150. So there's some safety pins laying here, and there's some on the other end of the altar. And you'll understand why I've got them there for you. Don't tell them we've got another bag. I don't want them to think that they can get it. Um, but uh, I brought safety pins because I think today we need to realize in the hour that we're living in, we need a safe place. And let me start with this. Have you ever sat in a meeting, gone to a camp meeting, a ladies' conference, general conference, and felt alone? Surrounded by hundreds of people, and yet really you don't feel like you fit. Have you ever personally needed a safe place? A place around people where you could be real, where you could be you, where you didn't have to feel threatened if you let your guard down and you took your mask off and became you. Real. I don't know about you, but I have needed a safe place from time to time, and it's not easy to find a safe place, not as easy as you might think, even among us. I've been hurt among us. Have. Because those safe places do exist, but sometimes we have to go looking for them. And you just might be surprised who else is looking for a safe place. Because sometimes we think everybody up here has got it all together. And that they don't need anything. And that's not true. I heard a doctor who was a research professor at a University of Houston make this comment, and she said, it takes great courage to be vulnerable. And she says it will actually change the way you live and the way you love and the way you lead. 
That's not in our DNA in Pentecost, to become vulnerable and transparent and real. And that's why maybe I have this opportunity because I have, in the last several years, not tried to hide some of the things we go through, but become very transparent about it. And it has been very hard. But it's easier for us to tell each other everything's all right in our world. Hi, how are you? Great, how are you? And you go to your room and cry. How's everything? The church doing, church is doing great. And you only had one person. We're in revival. Everything's right in our world. But to expose what's not right, well, I think maybe Dr. Brown was right when she said it's not that easy to become real. So I, I liken becoming transparent and real to an open heart surgery, and nobody signs up for that. Fifteen years ago or so, we were introduced, my husband and I, to a culture that we knew nothing about. And I don't know how parents prepare for such things as main responsibility, especially as mothers, is to fix our children. Anything a little neosporin and a Band-Aid, I got gotcha. you. Anything a little trip to the doctor, you know, give them a little this, a little that, we can do that. But when it's bigger than a Band-Aid, or bigger than a Band-Aid hurt, when it's an emotional, where do you go? Drugs, alcohol. Something I had never, ever been around before in my entire life. I grew up with a single mother whose life's purpose was to make sure our world was perfect. We were in church every Sunday, even if I was running a fever, I went to church and slept on a pew till she was done singing in the choir or teaching a class. That's what we did. So where do you go when you're faced with these issues? And let me just be real honest with some of you. As a pastor's wife, if you would have come to me before this 15-year period, I would have told you my little pat answers exactly what to say. Well, baby, if you pray, you'll pray more. This wouldn't have happened if maybe you hadn't messed up somewhere. or all, I had all the pat answers. Trust God. I knew what to say. But when it was my child, it didn't make sense. And it was just words. It was different. Because my heart was the one that was breaking. It was my child I couldn't fix. And words weren't enough. Go to the doctors to, for help. Sure did. You can go to doctors for cancer. You can go to doctors for diabetes. You can go to doctors for high blood pressure. Sure, diabetes, stress. Whatever it is that's going on in your world, you can run to a doctor and they will prescribe something or hear you out. But where do you go for this? Who do you talk to about this? Because you, I didn't have any friends that knew about this at the time. And growing up in Pentecost, being taught that if you live for God, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything in your world will be perfect, nothing will go wrong. And when my world came crashing down, I questioned God. I questioned everything I'd been taught. I questioned, if it was, I questioned it. I, I did. I questioned everything. 
I tried to read my Bible, which was my daily routine. Every day I'm in the Word. Every day I love the Word. But when I would get my Bible out in the mornings to go to read it, it wouldn't come off the page. I couldn't grasp one word. It was too hard. So tell me to go and pray through was not what I needed to hear. I prayed daily. I became consumed with helping my own child. A mother's heart. How do you separate God? How do I separate my mother's heart from those who say, don't let him come in the house. Let him live on the streets. Let him go to where, but leave him alone. God, it's my mother's heart. It's not their kid. It's my kid. And, and until they've experienced it, I question that. That's what they say. So, as a mother 15 so years ago, I began to seek out help. I didn't know where to go. So I began to research, heard about Celebrate Recovery, so I went. Heard about AA, I went. I went to Al-Anon, I was there. And they were all amazing. The first time I went to Celebrate Recovery was in a big Baptist church there in Little Rock, and I took my son. And we walk in there. Now, I know I stick out like a sore thumb. Except for my facial expression was like the lady I described the other night. You don't want to be around me, okay? And they break up into groups. Alcoholics, druggies, suicidal, uh, codependent group over here. So I'm out in the hall, nowhere to go. I don't fit in any of those groups. And a lady walks up and she said, Ma'am, would you like to go? I said, no, I'm not here for me. I'm here for my child. Oh, oh, okay. Well, maybe you'd like to go to this group over here for codependency. Well, I didn't have a clue that I was going to be the queen of the class. I didn't know. Because codependent people try and fix everybody. Which reminds me, that's what pastor's wives do. So tell me, uh-huh. And mothers. So who wouldn't fit in that class? Don't we try and fix everybody's problems? So we sit there in this class, and they go around a circle. Now, you're not a, in Pentecost. If you come to the altar and you start crying, we're going to hand you and we're going to stick a napkin in your so you can, you won't. Not in this class. They put a box of Kleenexes in the middle, and they tell you, if somebody begins to cry, do not give them a Kleenex. They need to. It's going to clean them out. They need to get that. They need to cry. But if they want it, they can get it. And I thought about that even in our own churches. We're so quick to make them, to help them. Why don't we let them cry? There's healing that happens. Well, we sit there in this circle, and in this circle they tell us, tell us why you're here. Tell us a little. Well, lady after lady tells. I'm here because um, I have an addicted sister, and so I tried to help her. But I couldn't help her, and she committed suicide. I, I brought this other lady. I brought my parents, and I tried to help my parents, but I couldn't help them with their drug addiction. So I ended up taking drugs. I had a breakdown, and I ended up taking drugs and in a hospital, and now I'm addicted. And it went around the room like that. Every lady in the group 
and it got to me. Now, we pastor a Pentecostal church in Little Rock. I'm at a big Baptist church in Little Rock. I know I stand out because they know Pentecostals in the area. And when they got to me, I said, I'm a Pentecostal pastor's wife. I've brought my son, and I'm not supposed to be here. Thank you, they said, and went to the next person. They didn't make me feel less than. They didn't question me. They didn't criticize. They just said, thank you. But after the class, the lady who was leading the class came up to me and she said, I see a lot of people come through here, but I've never seen a mother come with such transparency and honesty. I wish my mother would have done what you were doing for me. Well, that was only one experience that I had. I had many. But, and when I was sitting there and I was listening to those ladies in that group and I listened to their, how each one of them were affected and I was still there. And it was like the Holy Ghost spoke to me in that circle and the Holy Ghost said, and I have kept you from every bit of that. He's been my protector. He's been my safe place. He's my hiding place. I thanked him for that. And I needed that to remember. They were all so, such an amazing group of people, even in AA. They never questioned why I was there. They all spoke up and they all said their things. I just sat quietly. I was amazed at their transparency. Not once did I feel like a failure as a parent. Instead, there was a lot of things like this coming from them. We understand call us anytime. We're here for you and your child. Let us know how we can help. Did I feel safe? I did. And then I went to church. You don't always feel safe at church. Well-meaning people can say hurtful things. And so before any of us judge AA or celebrate recovery, we might be surprised what we all might learn from them. Because you can become transparent and real and the most real people you will ever meet. So as God would do as many times he has done for me in the past, because see, they have, they have their place, AA and celebrate recovery, they all have their place. But it really ultimately for me was not quite enough. So where do you go? And I was praying and asking God. I said, God, there is nobody else in Pentecost that's ever had a problem with their child. I didn't know. I honestly didn't know. Actually, I'd forgotten. That very Sunday as I was crying out to God that Saturday, I was saying, God, there's nobody. We're the worst sinners in the world, and we're pastoring. God, how could you? What did we do? And I went through everything from A to Z trying to figure out what we had done. Oh, we don't need help criticizing, getting criticized. We do our own job. We do a great job. <laughs> but as it would be on that Sunday morning, sweet Jesus brought a special missionary to our church. And she spoke as only she could on many occasions. I had heard her all my life. And this Sunday was really, really different because she mentioned in her message to us about her own children who had walked away from God and grandchildren who had walked away. 
for a period of time. And then I wondered, did she feel safe enough at that moment to share her heart? I heard it. I had never heard her or anyone publicly admit or say anything about problems in their home behind a pulpit. And so in the ministry, I was totally stunned. After church, she and I went out to eat by ourselves, and I asked her, I said, why now, Sister Freeman, why now am I just now hearing you mention any hurt or real-life issues? She simply says, Sister Jelaine, I was never given a platform to speak on this before. There was never an open door. There it was. I heard it ever so slightly, a mother's heart exposed. But she must have felt safe. Thank you, Sister Freeman, for being so transparent that Sunday morning because it saved another mother's mind. See, missionaries understand different cultures, and they're not afraid to dress it. So to this day, I still pray for Sister Freeman, even though she has passed and gone away. I pray for her children and grandchildren, because she was quite a lady. Eight years ago at General Conference, because see, going to General Conference for me is not always fun. I don't enjoy going to General Conference. I sit up in the bleachers all by myself. I find a dark spot because most of my friends are there with all their children. And I'm there by myself. My husband's on the platform doing whatever he does. And the lights were down. Walked up there, thought I was the only one on this pew, on this row, whatever. And when the lights came up, there was another missionary, Sister Martha Burton from Venezuela, now retired. Her husband had just died eight months before. And she makes her way all the way down at 80 years old, sits down beside me. And she reminded me, she said, Sister Jelaine, I want you to know that I pray for your children every day and that they're going to be saved. Do I need to remind you that we had six children and five of them walked away from God, but all of them have returned except one and she's on her way? If God did that for us, what makes you think he won't do that for you? Just know it's going to happen. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I called her and asked her if I could share that publicly. And she said, well, it's about time somebody's getting up in front of people and talking about the problems we have. <laughs> okay. But here's the thing. We need to call them by name. We need to know their names. So who do we tell? Who do we feel safe? Who do you feel safe enough around? to tell your deepest heart and say, please pray for and know it's at a safe place. This past election that we just went through in our nation, there were some people who were devastated at the outcome. So devastated, they shut down college classes. They took days off from work. 
They went to doctors to get prescriptions to deal with the stress and the pain of, of an election. I want to go, you all don't have a clue. Stress over an election? Come to my house. Just one day. Okay? One day. One day. Then you will bury yourself somewhere. <laughs> so they started this thing during that time to signify to their friends that we identify with you and your pain and you're safe with me through your grief because of the election. So they started wearing safety pins. I'm a safe place. I'm safe. But it was also saying I'm a part of that group. And I thought, I wonder if we did that amongst ourselves and said, I'm a safe place for you, Kim. You can tell me anything, and it will not go any further. It's done, except here. What if we did that for each other? AA does it. They're instructed. Whatever is said in these groups does not go out of this room, and they don't. I was with my son one time, and he said, Mom, there's, law, uh, there's um, surgeons in here and doctors and nurses because I, I know who they are. They've identified themselves. And I said, well, which ones? He said, I can't tell you. They protect each other in the world. Why are we not doing that in the church? Can I honestly tell you the hardest thing that anyone can do who's been a backslider or has come in from that world is walk into those church doors. So when they walk in and we frown at them, it makes them want to leave. God help us if we start... I, uh, if we start saying who can and who cannot come, who's, oh, well, they've messed up a hundred times. So have I. You just don't know about it. Do you know we can become just as addicted to gossip as an alcoholic? In fact, look at Scripture. When he talks about the whoremongers and the, and the alcoholics, he puts it right next to those who spread uh, rumors and gossip. The, he puts gossip next to alcohol. We don't. Oh, well, I, I want you to, I'm going to pray for them because you've just identified yourself as worse than an alcoholic or a drug addict. But because we look so good, we get by with so much. But in the end, I was telling somebody this morning, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. My son in an alcohol rehab right now has won more people to God. We just baptized somebody and they got the Holy Ghost just a few weeks ago. He wins more people than the sober people on our church pews. I'm telling you, there's a world out there that is hungry and they want God. We need to reach for as many people as we can. lost world. I don't know how many of you want to be a safe place, and I, I, we've got enough pins for everybody to have one. We do. But it may not be for everybody, and I don't want everybody to feel obligated to get a, a pin. I really don't. Because if you have a problem with keeping something, then you don't need a pin. Because I need to know that if I see you wearing one of these pins, then I'm safe with you. 
and that my children are safe with you. For me to share my children's problem with you, my child being in a rehab, I need to know my baby is safe with you. If not, I'm moving on. You hurt babies, you're hurting mama. Mama, I can deal with a lot, but you hurt my kids, I'm coming after you. And I fought a few devils. You, one more ain't nothing, okay? <laughs> and so I want to know how many of us have and are and are willing to say, I am a safe place. Because it's been said, all the counselors, the doctors, all the meetings and the programs that I've gone to, I go back to the scripture verse that God gave me at the very beginning of this journey. I sat in my office one Sunday morning. And I said, God, I need a word from you. And it's in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul that is sure and steadfast. And with that, I run past the veil. Ladies, that's why this is so important and prayer is so important. Because we need to know we can go past that veil and take whatever need we have to get into that throne room. But what gets us past the veil is that spirit of hope that when I get into that room with him alone, that hope is my anchor, the hope of his word that says, ask me anything and I will do it. I am for you. You can trust me. And that's where I've got to be. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the word says, I will raise up a standard against him. I knew years ago, I began when I was questioning everything at that period of my life, and I was, I didn't do anything, but I had the marijuana I can't promise. But hey, but I didn't. But I would say, God, you said that when the enemy comes in like a flood, you'll raise up a standard. What is the standard? Because I don't believe it's the length of my hair or my skirt. What is your standard when the enemy comes in? The enemy's not afraid of our hair or our skirt. He's afraid of more than he's afraid of the word. He's afraid of the word. And so I said, what is it, God, that is the standard? And so sweet. One year later, it, it, you know, it was instant. God doesn't always answer me instantly. It was a year later. I'm sitting in a church service, and I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I turned. There was nobody there. And it was just like the Lord was speaking to me in this church service. That's why you don't need to miss church. And he said to me, remember when you asked me about the standard? Mm -hmm. I didn't want to talk out loud too much because people think I was nuts. Mm -hmm. He said, that standard are other intercessors I have raised to pray for you when you can't pray right now. You're too overwhelmed with life, so I've raised up others to pray for you. And then he said, and I have come as a man of war, and I am fighting for you today. And I said, why would you need to fight? You've already won the battle. The response I felt in my spirit was this. Do you not remember in Revelation 19 when I come back for my people? I come back as a man of war riding a white horse, but I've already come for you. Now that was a few years ago, and I would have thought at that moment everything was going to be okay. It's been a rocky ride since then, but I still remember what he said in his word. And I still, still quote the word and say, God, you promised in your word that you're coming for us. The standard is raised. You've raised up other intercessors who are praying when I can't pray. Maybe you can't pray. Quit beating yourself up. Somebody is praying for you today. 
today. Know that God is going to protect you and cover you. Don't let the enemy rob you and say you backslid because you can't form words or read the word because you're so overwhelmed with life. God says, I've got your back. I'm a safe place. Trust me. Keep coming to church. Keep worshiping. Keep lifting your hands. Keep talking to me. Keep spending time with me. I will be an ever-present help in the time of trouble. That's why this is invaluable to a saint of God and a pastor and a wife. We are not exempt from this world. In fact, we get hit with it more than you know. If you're not praying for your pastor's wife and, her, and your pastor, start. You don't know what they face, and they may not feel safe enough in you around you to share everything. Thank God for our amazing church at home who's protected us and covered us. They've been an amazing safe place for us. I thank God for our church. I don't know if I'd have felt that just anywhere, but I have there, and I thank God for that. So every pastor's wife, would you just stand briefly just for a moment? Pastor's wives in the building. Look around, girls. These women understand not only your broken heart, but then they deal with their own issues at home. You may know and you may not know. The devils and the things that they face, here's what I know. You may be seated. The enemy comes after leadership. But guess who he has to get through first to get to him? Me and you. Pastor's wives protect the pastor. So if you want to be good to him and protect him, you better be good to her. Because she's carrying a load, yours and his, and who does she talk to about it? Who do you feel safe enough to talk to about it? So pastor's wives need a covering I would say more than pastors. That's just my humble opinion. <laughs> because we have to balance, do I tell him that this one over here is screwed up? Do I tell him, do I protect him and, to, and not let him know until maybe a few days till it simmers and maybe dies down and we can, God and we can pray about it and God will fix it? Or do I tell him now and him have a go, oh, I can't believe they're so stupid. No, because we want to protect them from their blood pressure going nuts and them having a stroke and whatever else. I do. I think of all that stuff. And we all need to think about that. Is our place of church, is our church, are we as women safe for other women to come around us and talk to us and be real and transparent? And when we go through something, when we go through real life issues, can people be safe around us to carry our needs and carry our heart with them? And I need to know that I feel safe around Sister Churchill. I need to know I feel safe around Sister Yaden. I need to know that I'm okay and my children are okay in your hands, Mr. Yaden. I need to know that. Because as a mother, as the mother of the church, I've got to protect everybody in the church. I try to mother them. I try to fix them at the same time reaching for mine in a rehab. It's a stretch. But I have a God who is limitless. 
I have a God who I can say is faithful. I have a God who has never left me or forsaken me. I have a God who has protected my mind, who has protected my spirit, who has protected my walk because I have cherished my moments with him. And let me say to the young girls, if you wait until you're 65 to start a relationship with God and reading the word, you're too late. Well, you're not too late, but you need to start when you're young because you're building a foundation. If I hadn't had a foundation taught to me by my elders, I don't know that I could stand the storms of today. So my hours and years in the word and in prayer and in relationship with him prepared me for the battle. If you are not preparing yourself for tomorrow, you will not withstand tomorrow. You won't. The storms that are coming that are already raging against the church and against people is too strong for somebody who is not in a relationship with God and getting strength every day. You've got to have a relationship so that when things go crazy, all you've got to do is say the name of Jesus and know he's there. He, show, he recognizes your voice and you recognize his voice. To you ladies, I'm saying, get into the word. Spend time with him. Get to know him because of who he is. Not because of what he can do for you, but because of who he is. He's God. He's creator. He's Lord. He's majesty. He's Messiah. He's holy. He's high and lifted up. He is glorious in all of his wonder. He's worthy to be praised because he's God alone. I don't go to church to praise him because of what he can do for me. I've been going since I was a child, worshiping him because he is just God. And he owes us nothing. Don't think your living for God has gotten you any badges. He doesn't owe us a perfect life. He doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. We owe him everything. Kim, who's playing? Go get one of those sweet guys. Because I have got these safety pins. And I don't know in here I've shared. I felt safe enough to do that here, Sister Heather, in your great church. And with this amazing district, which I've only done publicly one other time. And I felt safe enough to do that because I felt like possibly that some of you ladies needed a safe place. I can't go to a conference anywhere where I go where I don't run into ladies who don't identify. And here's what I know about us ladies. We can go to conferences and not know that anybody else is going through anything near what we are. And feel like they don't fit have been beat so beat up by life and felt like such a failure that when you hear somebody else has gone through it, you kind of go, oh, maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe I didn't do anything so bad. Maybe. Because we all look for somebody that we can feel safe with. I want you to stand. And as they begin to play, when you feel it, when you, and please don't feel obligated to get a pen. Please don't. 
I don't know that I even want everybody to have. I almost didn't buy 150. I almost thought about y'all just picking me up 50. Because I'm not so naive. I've been through enough to know <laughs> that not everybody is a safe place for me. So don't feel obligated. And if you don't see anybody with a safety pin on, please don't make them feel bad. Don't say, where's your safety pin? Don't do that. Let them figure it out with them and God. Maybe they've got something they need to work through, okay? Let's give people space. Let's quit being judge and jury. Let's let God do some of the work. I'm tired. <laughs> Besides, he's God. But let's sing a chorus. And Kim, I don't know what y'all want to sing or what y'all going to play and sing, but just do something for me. Let's, the safety pins are on both ends of the platform here. And make your way up, if you want to, and say, God, I'm identifying myself as a safe place. Find you another lady and let her know. 